0: To the City on a Hill Church Forest Hills podcast. We exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as King. We're glad you're here and thanks for listening. More information about the life and mission of City on a Hill can be found at coahforesthills.org. My name is Aaron. It's great to be with you. We send greetings from Brighton uh, to you. And I want to start out just with a quick story to tell you a little bit about my wife. Uh, My wife loves plants. Anybody, plant, green thumb, anybody? Uh, We're from North Carolina. And so like plants were like a thing because we had something called grass and soil that we owned in our backyard. And uh, she liked plants. And so she was gone for a two week vacation. She's like, Aaron, you're in charge of my plants. Exactly, you know where this is going, right? And so she said, Aaron, plants need two things, okay? They need position near the sun and they need action, they need water. And so she like writes out this list and I'm reading it, which plants need what. And I have all this information on what these plants need. She goes out of town, it's my first day with these plants. I'm like, I got this, you know, I can take care of the kids but plants are another thing. I take the plants out, I put water in them and then I forget to put them back in the sun. And then I totally just forget to water them for like two weeks. She comes back and she's like, how are the plants? I'm like, the plants, the plants are dead. And so I tell you that story. Uh, as a silly illustration, but I, I tell you this because what do those plants need? They needed position, right? And they needed action. And without those two things, those plants were not able to grow. And the same thing James tells us is true of you. Your heart needs to have a posture or a position towards God in order to grow. But then he's also saying, hey, you can't just have a right position. You've got to also take action. Let's not be hearers of the word, but doers of The word, And so what we're learning early on from James here is that knowledge of God's word is not enough. Knowledge plus our heart's position towards God that leads to action is your change. Now, listen, some of you might be, uh, have been a Christian for like a long time. And so you might be like, I haven't really grown or like matured in lots of years. Uh, Would anybody be honest and say maybe your best spiritual years you feel like are behind you? Anybody feel like that? Like your most passionate days are like backwards. Like maybe it was middle school, high school, college, like when y'all lived in community or something like that. We often think about that. But here's what maturity is. Maturity just simply means moving forward. And so what the Bible is given to us, guys, the Bible's given not to just increase our knowledge, but to transform your life. And that's what James is telling us in this passage. We gotta be doers of the word, not hearers only. So we can't act like the Bible is just good information, but the information has got to lead us to action. So here's two things that we're going to look at today. Uh, James is really trying to help you and I grow. He's not trying to help you kill the plant at your house. He wants you to have position of your heart and the action of your life. And that's the two things that will help us grow. So here's the two points if you're taking notes. Number one, the posture of your heart In the practice of your life. So let's jump right in here in the text. Uh, The first thing we're gonna learn about is about the posture of your heart. If you wanna grow, if you wanna grow, the position of your heart needs to be in the sun. You need to be towards Christ. So here's how it starts. It says, know this, James says. So he says, hey, there is knowledge to know here. There is some information you and I must have. He says, know this, But this information is supposed to lead to your transformation. So he continues. He says, know this, my beloved brothers. That word brothers is adelphoi in the Greek. It means brothers and sisters. It's a generic term that he's talking to people he loves. He knows them personally and he loves them deeply. And he wants them to grow. He doesn't want them to die spiritually or stay stagnant. He wants their best days ahead of them spiritually, not behind them. So he says, know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person is what he says. Let every person, meaning young, if you're old, if you're male, if you're female, if you're Republican, if you're Democrat, if you're black, brown, white, every person, he says, three commands. Every person, three commands. He says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, let me tell you, I've been married for about 10 years, and this is solid marriage advice. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry. James is giving us some solid wisdom right here. Guys, imagine how much heartache would really you would save yourself from if you were quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Can everyone just nod your head and be like, yeah, I'd save myself from a lot of self-inflicted wounds if I just heard that. Like for real, imagine yourself in this scenario and how how would would your marriage uh, grow? Or think about the tension being reduced in your work or the increased peace you'd have in your parenting if you take this advice. But to be honest for a moment, this passage isn't really about your response towards people though, but it's really about your posture towards God and his word. That's what this is actually referring to. And and how do we know that it's referring to this? It's the same thing in real estate. It's all about location, location, location. And right before these verses, we learn the context of this. Verse 17 says that God's word is a good thing. It's a perfect gift from God above. Then verse 18, he tells us that God's word brings us life and goodness. So James is telling us with context, with location, that this isn't just good advice to have a posture towards people, slow to speak and quick to hear. It's not just about people. It's about your posture towards God's word, So location tells us this passage is not your just response to people, but your posture towards God's word. And if you understand your posture towards God's word, then you will be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to be angry with others. So that bears us to ask a couple questions about this text, right? What does it mean to be quick to hear? If James wants us to grow and flourish and not die spiritually like my plant, how do we be quick to hear? Here's what being quick to hear means, if you're taking notes. It just simply means you're eager and attentive to God's principles and God's promises. That's what it means to be quick to hear. You're eager and attentive to God's principles and his promises. And listen now, we get quick to hear in our dating worlds. Now hear me out, you get this, okay? When you first started dating someone, when you were texting, you were attentive to every word and every punctuation, especially if you have been on dating apps and you just start talking, you're like, why did they say ha-ha at the end? Or why did they send that text that just said, okay, period? Why does she use so many exclamation points? And why does he not use enough, right? We are very quick to hear the nuance of what's in this text message when we're early on in this dating relationship. We're very eager and attentive to looking at what's going on, but we often don't approach God's word this way. We aren't attentive to the nuance of what he's trying to say for your good. We're busy, right? And we live distracted lives. We aren't quick to hear what God's word has to say. We're quick to respond to how we feel in this life. And so one thing I want you to know is that God is still speaking today. God very much wants to speak into your heartache and your struggle the tension you have in your marriage or with parenting or your coworkers or your roommates. God is still speaking and wants to be heard for your good and his glory. But the question is not as he's speaking, it's are you and I listening? One of the best ways to be quick to hear is just a Christian practice called journaling. One of the best ways we can do every morning is we can wake up or before we go to bed, we can maybe spend 15, 20 minutes in God's word and we might have a journal next to us and we're jotting down what it shows us about God's character or his heart or what does it show us about our character and our heart we should be quick to listen because God is quick to want to give wisdom and you and I are very much in need of his wisdom and his insight and his care towards us and so James is saying when you come to God's word if you want to grow and not die spiritually you got to be quick to listen not to just your feelings of how you're experiencing your environment around you, but you gotta be quick to know what is God saying? Because God wants to lead your life to goodness and flourishing in him. Does that make sense? So we gotta be like in dating, we we gotta be quick on the nuance. We gotta understand what is God saying? What does he have for us? Because in that is also the blessed life. Number two, we also gotta understand not just how to be quick to hear, right? But how do we be slow to speak? Does this mean you have to have a Southern draw and you gotta talk slow so people can understand you? Of course not, right? What does it mean to be slow to speak? Guys, we live in a culture, in Boston, my own heart, that everybody wants to talk and we wanna talk all the time. We want our opinions to be known. We wanna be the verbal influencer at work, in our home, social media. We wanna have the corner market on every hot take imaginable. And what do we do? We critique every little thing about every little thing. We don't wanna be slow to talk. We wanna tell everybody what's on our mind, amen? That's all of us, right? I think I heard a kid say amen, absolutely. Guys, we wanna share our opinions and we want everyone to hear those things. And here's what James is saying. It's not bad to speak. He doesn't say stop speaking, does he? He says, be slow to speak. And here's why, are you suffering? Like, are you struggling in a relationship? Think about it for a moment. How is your marriage having trouble? Are your kids driving you crazy? Are you frustrated at work? Are you addicted to a particular sin pattern? And guys, these are all reasons for us to be slow to speak about other things. Because listen, more oftentimes than not, the struggle that's in you needs to be spoken to more than you speaking to the circumstances around you. Does that make sense? We have more heartache in us. And so we need to be slow to speak about things out there when our hearts need to be spoken to in here. Does that make sense? So a lot of us spend a lot of time curating our Facebooks and our Instagram and how we look or what we say out there. But James is saying, hey, don't, don't spend all of your time. He doesn't say stop speaking to things out there. He says, really the emphasis should be slow to be speaking about some inconsistency out there and consider the hypocrisy in here. Does that make sense? So he's saying, slow down. Consider why is your heart angry at times? Why does it get anxious when your future looks like it's out of control and you don't know a next step? He's saying, be slow to speak about it. Be slow to navigate how you feel and air it out on Facebook and tell everybody how anxious you are. He's saying, take a moment, take a moment, be be slow. Be quick to hear, what does God's word have to say to your anxious or lonely heart? It's a really, really helpful thing for us to see here. So quick to hear, slow to speak, and then be slow to anger. And then James kind of adds a little tagline on the end of this third command here, right? He says, be slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And that's James' very point, right? He wants to produce a right heart and right actions. And so he calls that righteousness. And he's saying being angry is sort of like a blockade to having a right heart and right actions. And so James wants you to live this life of righteousness or God's wills and God's ways for your good. He has a plan and a path of human flourishing. And he wants you to know it. And he's saying that anger is a blockade from that. And just like we talked about how our culture wants to just talk all the time and we very rarely want to lean in and listen, the same is angry. Same with angry in our culture. Guys, we are angry and outraged as a culture about everything, literally everything. Vaccines, Politics, this one you should be. Gas prices, I'm playing, but I'm kind of not playing, right? You name it, we are angry about everything all the time. Some things we should be. We should be angry about injustice, should be angry about shootings. Those things should break our hearts and cause us to move into action in a godly way for restoration. But if we're angry all the time at all things, it hurts you and others in your walk with God. Guys, listen, I, I was studying this past week. Do you know, you wanna know the Greek word here for anger? It's Twitter. That's just a dad joke, I'm sorry. It's a dad joke. But literally, the, I mean, we are so angry on Twitter and we got, I don't know about this church so I can like say it freely without knowing you, but we got some Facebook fighters in the church world. They like roll up their sleeves like, today I'm going to battle. And they're just destroying Facebook with all of their anger on anything. There's no good news of Jesus. There's no hope for eternal life. There's no grace and forgiveness. It's just rage against everyone and everything. And James is saying, hey, that, that doesn't produce a right heart or right actions that leads to a right walk with Jesus. So James is saying, when you are angry, which by the way, he doesn't say it's wrong to be angry, keynote there, he doesn't say it's wrong to be angry. He wants to us to be slow, to make sure that our anger is just and righteous and not self-driven and sinful. Make sense? And so we really need to consider what that looks like. Because when we're angry, when we're angry, you can't listen. Have you been in a fight with somebody and you get angry? What happens when you get angry in a fight? You either shut down or you blast them, right? You crank that sucker up to 10 and you tell them everything you've ever felt about them in your entire life. Or maybe you just are in my marriage for a moment. I'm not sure. But when we're angry, we can't listen, right? We don't hear well. That's what James is saying. Think about your marriage, your relationships. When you're angry, can you listen? Can you hear? You can't. Guys, you know what anger is? Anger is when something you love gets threatened. When You love something and someone or something gets in the way of what you love is threatened that you can't obtain it, you get angry. That happens in my life. If there's a goal I wanna to get to and I might have people that are in the way, of this goal, because I think that goal will do something for my heart, I get angry because they're in my way. And James is saying, hey, be slow, Aaron. Be slow to anger because that anger might not be, a, might not, might be just. And you need to take a moment to consider why are you angry? Um, I was driving in my car uh, a few months ago. It's a good illustration to help us kind of understand this. And when the dash comes on for me, when like a little dash light comes on, I'm like, something's wrong with the car. I need to fix it. But when my wife is driving the car and the dash is coming on, she's like, oh, that's just something for me to ignore. That's how we roll in our house. She'd rather take a hammer when the light's flashing and just smash it out. I fix the light. It's no longer telling me what the problem is. When I'm driving, I'm like, we got to do something with that light. Guys, anger is the same way. It's a flashing light showing you that something is wrong in your heart. I'm not talking about righteous anger. I'm talking about sinful anger. What James is saying is when you feel angry, take a moment, when you're angry, take a moment and consider, is there something or someone that you think is ultimate, that's not God, that something is in the way of that makes you angry? And in that moment, God's inviting you to turn from that idol and turn to him. So think about, are you angry this past week? What were you angry about? Did someone interrupt your work? Frustrate you in parenting? Did they confront what you said, they make you look bad. What made you angry this past work? What made you angry? If you think about that, there was something you wanted and something got in the way. And James is saying, slow down for a minute, because what your heart really needs is not what you think. What you really need is Christ and his goodness for you. To walk with him, to know his love, forgiveness, and grace, that what you have in him is more valuable than what you can find in anything or anyone else. Does that make sense? So he's saying, slow down, look at the flashing light that anger produces and run to Christ with your heartache. And guys, I think that's why in reference of location, he's talking about God's word here. He's saying that's why people get so angry about the Bible. It threatens our status quo. It calls us out. The Bible calls out your flaws and your shortcomings. Guys, it gives us a standard that sometimes we don't agree with. It gives commands, guys, this is tough. The Bible gives commands about gender and sexuality and abortion and pornography and forgiveness and justice and racism, men's and women's roles, you name it, and we don't like it. And so God is telling us through James here, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Before you get angry about God's word, before you get angry about a command in the Bible, you should take a moment and figure out why God gave it. That's what James is getting to because it's really about the word here and how your heart posture receives it. So James is saying, hey, Be quick to listen why I gave that command. Be slow to speak out about it when you're angry about what's in the Bible and be slow to angry, be slow to be angry when you don't even know why I gave it. Quick illustration with this. I've got two little girls. One named is Shasera and she is obsessed right now. She's three with trying to stick her finger in the fan, like a little box fan. And she's like, it just feels... Like the wind feels so good. I just want to, it feels like my finger's closed. I'm like, it's not going to feel like that. It's going to hurt when you touch it. But for her, when I'm telling her no, it's like I'm telling her the worst thing in the world. She's like, don't tell me how to live my life. I'm going to touch that fan. I'm like, sweetie, you, you don't need to touch that fan. I'm giving her a command, but she doesn't like it. She thinks I'm limiting her joy, but I'm actually trying to protect it. So I tell her no. And that's why God gives us his word at times to tell us no. It's not to impede our joy, It's to ensure our joy. So when we look at something in the scripture and we don't like it and we disagree with it, God is telling you, hey, be quick to hear for a second. Be be slow to speak out about how much you hate the command and be slow to angry, be slow to be angry because there might be something in that command that is for your good, that's trying to ensure your joy and not to impede your joy. Does that make sense? I think that could be really helpful for us as we come to God's, word. So we come to God's word and it's flashing something we don't like, like a light before us. You have two options with the Bible. Number one, you can just change the Bible. Just edit the Bible if you don't like it. Just throw it out. That's one option and people have done that all throughout history, but it doesn't produce a life of flourishing with Jesus. But that's an option. So you change the Bible or you let the Bible change you for your good. There's going to be numerous commands, numerous things that we don't know why God commands or says what he does about sexuality or our bodies or our lives. And it's gonna be really hard for us at times. But if we can understand that God is so far above our ways and we're like my daughter at times, not understanding and we think this is gonna be the path of joy. It's gonna feel good. It's gonna be great. We get close to it and it harms us. So God is like a gracious father who comes in and says, hey, no, no, I don't want you to go near that. I don't want you to do that because I'm trying to ensure your joy and not impede it. So that's why James tells us in verse 21. Therefore, what's he say? He wraps up these three commands. Therefore, put away all filthiness, he says. Filthiness is just a word for inner thoughts and desires. He says, put those away. And then he says, put away rampant wickedness, which is the sinful outward desires and actions. And he says, put those things away. And then with meekness, receive the implanted word, which is able to save or transform your souls. What's James saying here? He's saying, I want you to put off ways that lead to harm and put on ways that lead to life, is what James is saying. And that's all repentance and faith is. Repentance is putting off things that cause hurt and harm. And then faith is putting on what's right and good about Christ. That's all repentance and faith is. He says, receive with humility, the implanted word of God, which is able to save your souls. That means two things here. Two things save your souls. God's word can save your life from the heartache that sinful choices can bring you. That's what God's word is telling you right now. If you don't like what God's word says, I totally understand that at times. I've got to wrestle with things even as a pastor. But this text is telling me that God's word can save your life from heartache that sinful choices can cause us. So consider it, he says. Then number two, God's word can save your life by pointing you to Jesus who gives you new life. Guys, all the scriptures point us to Christ and shows us that he lived in our place and he died in our place and he rose in our place. Why? So we can have a place with him. God accomplished the law perfectly so that we can have a perfect record and be with the perfect God. This is the good news that we have about Jesus. The Bible is pointing us to Christ. So if we receive him as our implanted word, we can have a life that is saved and enjoyed in him. So that's the first thing. Second point's a lot shorter. That's the first thing. If we want to grow, we want to change, experience all God has for us. We don't want to die like my plant. We've got to have the right heart posture towards God. We've got to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. But James tells us there's one other thing if you want to grow. It's not just about your posture of your life, but it's also the practice of your life. Not just posture, but practice. And James takes one step further in verse 22. He says, listen, guys, don't just be quick to hear God's word and consider it. You've got to apply it. Verse 22, he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because if you hear and don't do, you deceive yourselves. And guys, a lot of you have been in church uh, a lot in your life. Christians are fantastic at deceiving ourselves at what it means to grow. Like this is what we do. We think attendance is transformation. When I show up to church, I'm gonna grow. I come to CG, I'm just gonna grow. We think just by showing up means we're growing up. And James is telling us that's not exactly the case. You can't just hear something in a sermon or hear something in CG and be like, oh yeah, I just kind of grew because I was here. Showing up is not the same as growing up, although showing up is a good way to help you start growing up. Another thing we deceive ourselves with is we think information is transformation. If I just have more facts about the Bible, then I'm just going to grow. I'm just going to be like so much more mature in my faith. And guys, that's just not exactly the case. Just like my plants. I knew how to feed the plant. Guys, you just put sun and water. That's all you need to know. I, I had all the information, but the plant died, right? Just because you have facts or knowledge or insight about God, and but they're left unapplied, it doesn't transform you. It doesn't change you. You've got to walk with this word got to live it out. Don't just be hearers of it, but be doers of it. And last, we love this one as church people. Um, Affirmation is not the same as action. Uh, A lot of times you might come up to Pastor Stephen, like that that was a great sermon. And I wish one day he might be like, well, tell me, what are you going to apply from your life? But bam, Stephen might just like kind of give you the left hand, right hand. What are you going to apply from that sermon that you thought was so good? We can't just be an affirmation sermon society. Well, that was a great point. Oh yeah, I like that. We can't, we can't just affirm. Affirmation is not the same thing as action. And that's what James is trying to shake us alive with. Guys, we live in a very educated academic society. We think that insight and knowledge and information leads to transformation. And that's just not the case. So we can't deceive ourselves. We can't just hear the word and think we know it and that we're close to God and we change. We've got to walk in it. We've got to walk in it. So James continues this encouragement by giving us this closing really powerful illustration. And don't miss it here in verse 23. He says this, for if anyone is a hearer of the word, but it's not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and then he goes away and forgets what he looks like. So here's the illustration that James gives, okay? James didn't have a pocket mirror from CoverGirl back in the day. This is my wife's. But here's kind of the illustration. James is saying, that there's a man and he's looking deeply in the mirror and he's like, wow, I have a giant unibrow. Or he's like, wow, I've got boogers all over my face. And he's looking in the mirror and he sees himself. He's intently looking at his face. And the mirror is to do what? The mirror is to reflect reality back to you. It's to show reality back to you. If I've got glitter on my beard from playing with my two little girls in their Barbies, the mirror will point that out. And in high school, I was playing backyard football, my buddies were tackling the mess out of each other. And I going for this massive tackle, I get a shoulder in the nose, I hear this giant pop, and I'm like, uh-oh, this doesn't look good. Walked inside, I looked in the mirror, and what did I see? The mirror reflected reality that I indeed had a broken nose. And did I just walk away, I'm like, dude, I got a broken nose? Telling my friends I got a broken nose, but I made this tackle. What did I do with that information from the mirror? took action. It would be incredibly silly of me to have, sorry for the graphic, but blood on my face, my nose crooked on the side and be like, yeah, I got, thanks for that information, mirror. And then I just walk away and live my best life, right? That would make no sense. And that's what James is saying. James is saying that God's word serves like this mirror. It reveals the broken areas of my life so I can get the help and healing that I need. That's the purpose of God's word. The Bible reveals my brokenness in light of God's wholeness so that God's wholeness can heal my brokenness. Does that make sense? The Bible's not just trying to call you out. It's trying to call you in, into a life of God, into wholeness in him. So yes, the Bible calls us out, but just like the mirror called out the broken nose, it just showed you what reality is so that I can go get, help and care. Guys, the purpose of a mirror's reflection is to show you where a person needs to take action. And some of us might have a really negative experience with what your physical mirror at home shows you. And the difference between your mirror at home and the mirror of God's word, the mirror at home often condemns you for what you look like. But the Bible invites you to come in and show you that you are so much more than what you look like. It invites you into a life of God with love and forgiveness and grace and And where the Bible calls out sin and brokenness and invites you into wholeness through life and faith and walking with Jesus, amen? So with that said, how do we do God's word? Where do we need to take action? A couple quick things. The first thing is, guys, we got to change our mindset. One quick way we can do God's word is we change our mindset. We, We don't really obey God's word because we don't think like the text says that it's the law of liberty. We don't think that obeying God's word will be a life of flourishing for us. We think like my daughter Shasera, it's gonna limit your freedom rather than provide the avenue for it. We don't obey God's word because we think God's holding out on us. But God's word is holding out for us the path of goodness and flourishing in him. So one great way we can do God's word is we change our mindset through meditation. Meditation, not the kind of Eastern way that we empty our thoughts, but we fill our thoughts with God's word. And listen, you know how to meditate. I know you do. Have you ever been anxious? That's meditation. You ever had a lustful or a fantasy in your heart? That's meditation. Have you ever been bitter or resentful? You play back a scene against someone else in your head over and over? That's meditation. You're taking something and you're thinking about it and you're analyzing it and you're considering the implications of it. One great way to apply God's word is to meditate on it so that God can change your mind and your heart to trust in him. Another thing is, guys, we, we need to do God's word by repentance, which is changing our actions through walking in his ways. So a really quick way to say that is, guys, we, we've got to stop believing that true happiness and true fulfillment can be found outside of a relationship with Christ. There's no someone or something that can give you value or worth because Christ has already provided that in his death on the cross for you. He proved once and for all how wonderful and glorious your relationship can be by his death for you. And so part of our actions is to stop thinking and stop doing things that will harm us. And we start believing and we start walking in what God says. Something I tell my kids all the time is, hey, you might not understand what daddy's trying to tell you, but I want you to obey right away, all the way. It's what I tell them. Because I want them to just know that dad's got a good plan. When I want you to hold your hands, we cross the street so you don't get hit by a car. And God is telling us, would you hold his hand of his word and would you trust it? Would you change your actions through repentance? Stop believing that certain things will give you life and start believing and start living the way he's asked you to live. Last thing here is how do we put this into action? We, we change our hope. We, we look at God's word and we see what it says right here. It says, it says in verse 25, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Do you know what James is doing? He's pointing to Jesus in this passage. Our hope can be changed by Jesus. He's saying the one who looks into the perfect law, Christ did that. Jesus looked into the perfect law, the law of liberty. He persevered. He lived perfectly in our place, obeying every command. He was quick to hear. He was slow to speak, slow to be angry. That's what we see on his trial before he was executed on the cross for us. He looked into the law of liberty. He persevered perfectly. He was not just a hearer, but he was a doer. And he brought blessing for you and I through that life. Jesus lived perfectly in our place so we could have a perfect place with God. Galatians 3.24 says, the law, the Bible, became our guardian. It became a mirror. It pointed out our brokenness, but appointed us to wholeness in Christ. And my friends, this is what Jesus had come to do: live in your place, die in your place, so you can have a place with Him. So how do we obey this word? How do we be a doer of the word? We take Christ. We say, You lived in my place. You accomplished the law perfectly, and I want to walk with you. So if you're a guest and You may be unfamiliar with Christianity. I don't want you to hear from today's text that Christianity is all about you doing more, you accomplishing the law. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that Christ accomplished the law for you so that you could have forgiveness and a life and a relationship with him. And then he invites you to live out these commands for your good. So Christ already did it for you because we are unable to, granting us new life. And then he wants us to walk in these things, not to be saved, but to be saved from heartache and challenges. So friends, let's grow in the word. Let's not just think information grows us. Let's not be like me in the intro of the story. Don't just have these facts, but whatever God's word says, I want you to not just hear it, but do it right.